Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code CANADALAND at checkout. And now a tale of two companies, two companies in the same business, using the power of the internet to deliver movies through the mail. The story starts last decade. Netflix in America delivering DVDs through the mail. You go on their website and you pick the ones you want and then they mail them to you. And zip.ca doing the same thing here in Canada. Big difference is not who was first to market because Zip.ca was first to the Canadian market. They had a six-year head start on Netflix here in Canada. And both companies were doing really well signing people up for this mail-order DVD business, which was actually really innovative. It was a lot better than going to the video store for a lot of people. But then both companies saw that things were changing. Technology was changing. Viewing habits were changing. It was obvious to both companies that they had to change. They needed to pivot and try something new. 
Netflix, of course, got into streaming video, and the rest is history. Meanwhile, Zip.ca went into the vending machine business. They did. That was their play. They put these kiosks, these self-serve DVD machines in stores across Canada. Yes, okay, they did try to get into the streaming game. After Netflix came into Canada, a year later, we heard about a partnership between Samsung and Zip.ca, where if you had a Samsung TV, you would be able to rent one movie at a time from Zip.ca for $5 for a 48-hour period. Didn't work out. About four weeks ago, Zip.ca closed their doors. At the point of their demise, they claimed a customer base of 305,000 Canadians. Meanwhile, Netflix had grown to an estimated 5.8 million Canadians. Meanwhile, right now in Ottawa, a powerful group of Canadians, regulators, legislators, CEOs, media moguls, they have convened to figure out what they are going to do about Netflix. The CRTC hearings on the future of regulated TV in Canada is underway. It is dealing with everything, not just Netflix, things we've spoken about here in the past, like unbundling channels and and, uh, news requirements and local TV. But the hot button issue, the one that's making headlines is Netflix and YouTube and the other video services in the States who are entering the Canadian market. What are we going to do about them? So what questions are being asked? Is the CRTC trying to figure out how the Canadian system can can compete with Netflix or, or how it can partner with Netflix? No. The idea that has been put forth, not by the CRTC, but uh, in the past by the CBC, by the government of Quebec, now by the government of Ontario, by the Directors Guild, by ACTRA, the Actors Union, by the Media Producers Association, the proposal is let's tax Netflix. Let's tax Netflix and use the money to keep the Canadian system going, to keep making CanCon TV shows. I've received a ton of emails this week asking me to do a Candleland on the Netflix tax. And I I have to be honest, I've been resistant. I mean, it just feels like, who cares what the CRTC and the Canadian industry have to say about Netflix? What consequence does it have? I mean, it's like the National Brontosaurus Committee's High Commission on Meteorites. I'm sorry, Brontosauruses, but you can't regulate the meteors. You can't tax them. You can't bargain with them. They are deaf to your committee and they are coming. All right, I suppose there's no way around this stuff. It does matter. It doesn't matter much to Netflix, but it does matter for us. It has an impact on what we're going to be paying every month. It's going to have an impact on what kind of content we have access to. And it's going to have an impact on what kind of content we're making in this country. So let's get into it. I certainly haven't been watching on CPAC 12 hours a day as these hearings commence. But my guest today, Steve Fagi, has. Steve is a freelance journalist who covers the Montreal media and the media at large. You can find his blog at blog.fagstein.com, and he's going to join me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. I have been very lucky uh, with my sponsors. I've been lucky to to have sponsors whose products I actually like. I don't know what I would do if if a company, I don't know, like GoDaddy wanted to sponsor. I'm not saying I wouldn't take their money. I would just have a tough time talking about them. So anyhow, I am lucky I don't have to deal with that. And now that I've said that, I'm, I, I think I've probably erased the possibility of me having to deal with that with GoDaddy in the future. Uh, but, but I do get to talk about Squarespace, who I like. Squarespace is a service for building and hosting really good looking websites that are quite simple and easy to make. The design is beautiful and it looks beautiful on any screen, any size, laptop or desktop. It'll work on a tablet. It'll work on a phone. The site knows what you're looking at it on and it responds. The process of building a site with them has been streamlined. You drag and drop your content in. It's kind of fun to build your site. You can go and play around with it actually without giving them your credit card and try building a site, see if you like it. But this is not GeoCities. These are powerful websites. You can actually run your business off of them. Each website comes with its own online store. If you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. Packages are as low as eight bucks a month. When you use your credit card, you put in the promo code CanadaLand, you get 10% off and you're showing some support for this show, which would be appreciated. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. You just sat through 12 hours of a CRTC hearing. I can't imagine anything people are less interested in or, or could be more boring. And yet there's an aspect of it that people are like red hot enraged about. And that is this supposed Netflix tax. That's the thing that's got the headlines, the Netflix tax. And, and the conservative government says, no, there's never going to be a Netflix tax. Is there even a Netflix tax? Is there anyone actually like, does that, does that exist on paper anywhere? Well, it's, it's a proposal. It's what some people are proposing, but like, the CRTC is not the one proposing this. A lot of people are like, ah, screw you, CRTC, how dare you? Like, they're hearing this uh, along with everyone else, but they're, they're, they, they're not the ones that have put forward this idea of having a Netflix tax. Uh, and the simple reason is that it's like there's no practical way to do this. You could say, oh, well, you know, we'll tax Netflix like 5% of the revenues. But how do you define what an online video service even is? And how do you get to the ones that don't even operate in Canada? So it's because of, of how impractical it is, it doesn't seem realistic. Even if there were a piece of legislation that were putting forth this tax, it wouldn't be the Netflix tax. It would be the internet video that makes money tax, which would apply not just to 
Netflix, uh, not just to YouTube, but to uh, like millions of other websites that are, you know, in, in various forms offering video, you know, either selling ads against video or selling subscriptions for video or video as a, as a part of like anything that Canadians watch is is commercial video. So you, like, I mean, how would you make that distinction? It just seems like uh, an absolute regulatory nightmare to even, I mean, you know, CRTC has said, we're, n- we're not opening that can of worms. We're not going to regulate content on the internet. Yeah. And, and how it's going to work? Well, that's the big question. A lot of it is like, we should tax Netflix. Therefore, you know, step two, question mark, question mark, question mark, step three, profit. It's like, we don't, there hasn't been a practical, realistic process that has been proposed here. They just say, we want to tax Netflix or we want to, uh, you know, regulate this in some way. Uh, you know, it's, it, Netflix is an, is an easy target because it, it's a very specialized service. It only does online streaming of videos, basically. But, you know, does YouTube count? Does uh, all of those things that provide free video that's ad supported count? Like all of all these questions have come up and we haven't really heard any uh, any serious answers to this yet. And Google, you know, they, they appeared before the CRTC and their argument was like, look, there's tons of Canadian content that we provide. You don't need to regulate it. Uh, I say there's, there's thousands of hours of Canadian content, but it's not Canadian content made by Canadian unionized crews and it's not a sitcom or a scripted it's 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 YouTube content it's internet content so it seems ridiculous to to tax that in order to make that old stuff that nobody really watched anyhow i mean it just seems like you're you're just trying to kind of slice something out of this new thing to keep this old dying thing limping along yeah well it's not it's not it hasn't been presented in any case. I mean, I'm sure in a lot of cases this is about self-preservation, especially when you get the interest groups coming coming forward uh, and and presenting from the CRDC. But it's not so much that it's you know we want to support the unions or we want to support TV as it is. It's a question of you know there's been a policy for you know half a century now that we support Canadian programming financially by making it more accessible and and through other regulatory means. So it would be a question of, you know, asking Netflix to spend 5% of its revenues on Canadian content. That content can, you know, stay with Netflix in a theoretical scenario, which I'm just making up now because, again, we don't really have any specifics here. But if, if Netflix had to, you know, abide by uh, the same things that other broadcasters do, you know, it could it could spend its Canadian content money on itself. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily go to unions and it wouldn't have to have unionized staff. But it would have to spend some of its some of its revenue on original Canadian content. But again, how you do this, it's all theoretical and, and vague and not very well explained. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, because I mean, the way that spending that money on Canadian content has been defined has been to create Canadian content through our established and, and unionized uh, system and, and the special interest groups you mentioned are the you know that's the a- a- the actors guild and the directors group. I mean those are the people who are who are uh, lobbying for this as well. I mean I have to wonder how much of it is just sort of political posturing. The Ontario government's an easy thing for them to say, and they've got their relationships with the production sector here. To, to I mean as if the Ontario government has much say in this. To say well we're for a Netflix tax and and Quebec as well because that's where the production is is concentrated in in Canada is in Ontario and Quebec, and the CBC saying that uh, okay. And then on the other hand, you've got the conservative government releasing this tweet today that we will never support a Netflix tax when in fact you know they won't even be in a position. 
to have anything to do with this uh, under the current government. So it, it just feels like these two sides are kind of like posturing with this tax that doesn't exist. You know, it, it's an easy it's an easy way to kind of score points, be it win scoring points with the production sector and the unions here or the conservatives with a very populist message that got retweeted or, or you know, liked thousands of times today. Like, what are we actually arguing about? I mean, like, it's, it's absurd. We're not going to do this, are we? I Yeah, I, I, I sincerely doubt that uh, any type of, of tax, you know, uh, whether it's 5% or, or otherwise, uh, will actually be leveled on Netflix. There may, there might be, I mean, there might be some other creative form of regulation that might come forward because there are legitimate arguments, not just a question of, you know, unions and saving jobs and stuff, but there are legitimate reasons why you would want to regulate uh, online video. But the impracticality of it. We we can kind of go back and forth on on whether that's a good idea from like, you know, from a, any kind of be it a copyright or a censorship, cultural preservation. But you just can't do it. I mean, how that how in the world would you regulate internet video? To to me, the only way to do it would be to uh, you know start censoring the internet to start set up setting up uh, you know uh, uh, government censors. Uh, to decide, you know, which videos we can watch and which we can't. We, we start creating a system where there's sort of a gray market for video where that's not, you know, officially sanctioned by the government because they haven't paid their taxes. You know, we could see offshoring of videos. Canadians, uh, even the Canadians who put videos on YouTube, if they reach a certain <laughs> threshold of revenue, they could have to move these videos offshore and be, you know, quasi-legal. I mean, it, there are just so many things that get brought up that – makes like I realize that that un, completely unregulated is scary I like and I understand that but I don't think we have a, a, a realistic alternative to this unfortunately it's, it's so silly it's so silly to have some tribunal in Ottawa acting as if they had any power over this it's the internet I mean their their whole framework of what they're regulating is based on a scarcity model it's based on there being these public airwaves and only so many channels and we got to make sure that we keep a few of them Canadian or it, it's it's a, a totally different environment you can't really apply any of the logic from one environment to the next. Absolutely. And, and that's the reason the CRTC exists in the first place, because when it comes to uh, radio, when it comes to over the air, air television, and when it came to, to cable in the early days, cable TV, uh, there was that scarcity. There was just, you know, a certain amount of bandwidth available or, or whether it's, uh, you know, over the air or, or through that cable wire. Um, but now that's become less and less of an issue. It's, it's still an issue in some cases, but um, but it's, it's less of an issue, particularly when, when it comes to video. So, I mean, the CRTC, at least when it comes to television regulation, has to start preparing for itself to be rendered irrelevant. It has to start preparing to not have any regulation at all. It has to start scaling it, scaling it back. That's interesting. Like they've been kind of denying that the sky is falling for a long time because it's still a very lucrative business, uh, TV, but it just seems inevitable that it's all going to run off the internet eventually, at which point the CRTC, I don't know what role they have to play. So the only, you're suggesting the only responsible role for them is to kind of manage the process by which they fade out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the CRTC, like if you talk to the commissioners, they understand that and they actually agree with that. Um, and I think I get this, this sense of frustration from them. When you have these these media players, big and small, coming to them and wanting more regulation, wanting to reduce consumer choice, for example, that they're like, you know what, in, in 20 years, none of this is going to matter because you're not going to have 
any free rides whatsoever. Their whole existence is a free ride. I mean, that's why it's so funny whenever they kind of make a, you know, they're always against regulation when it doesn't serve them, but they, but they only exist because of regulation. If we didn't have laws against foreign broadcasters owning Canadian TV channels, like why do we need these 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 players who essentially just buy American shows and play them for Canadians and then kick back a little bit of money to make, you know, Canadian shows that they kind of neglect. I mean, that's that's a wonderful business to be in for a very long time. It's not the worst thing in the world if that business is rendered irrelevant. Yeah, I, I think they might disagree with you that they're kicking back just a little bit on Canadian programming. I mean, we have some Canadian programming that's actually quite successful. I mean, you know, The Amazing Race Canada uh, is is the most popular show on CTV right now. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a Canadian show of, of arguable uh, cultural benefit when it's just a, you know, you're t- you're kind of like uh, taking a, a, a white labeled American product, a franchise and just slapping a, you know, a Canadian on it. Well, it's an American. It's an American format, but it's it's produ- like I, I understand the idea that like, oh, we shouldn't uh, uh, we shouldn't, you know, f- take uh, uh, local formats of foreign produced shows like American Idol is not an American format. It was created in uh, in Britain. The Voice, not an American format, that was created in Holland. Like, just because something was created, like a format was created elsewhere, uh, you know, you say the same thing about newscasts for crying out loud. Like, newscasts is a format, uh, we just one we don't happen to pay licensing rights for. But nobody's going to argue that a local newscast is not local because you know some ideas for that newscast came out of something they copied from something they saw in Japan one time, you know? Yeah, you, you make a good point. I mean, I, I guess I guess like the real question is to what level that kind of show is of cultural value to any country. I mean, let's not start like waving flags of like who. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like it. And, and it's a show where you can see like you see Canada, you know, uh, probably th- more than you do on on most Canadian uh, created dramas these days. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not holding the Amazing Race Canada up as like the epitome of Canadian programming. I'm just saying it's an example of something that is that is popular, uh, that is expensive, that is is created by, you know, one of the major uh, uh, media players in Canada. No, I, I, I get your point. Like that, that's that's the system working. That's the system at its best. And but I guess it's sort of like I, I, I almost feel like, oh, I've, I've fallen into the trap of being the guy who says, like, that's not Canadian enough. And and you're saying, well, in fact, it's pretty damn good. And, and meanwhile, like that's always been such a silly argument to I me, mean, like, like, you know, one person's Canadiana. And like, like I don't know, I've, I, I feel like by ma- by putting this kind of question of 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 uh, cultural nationalism into a regulated taxed framework. We've sort of forced into a policy conversation what's really an aesthetic and personal and cultural conversation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's, it's a good question to have of, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing when you're talking about access, when you're talking about giving Canadians a chance to put their creations out there for people to uh, to, to get. But now, there is no there is no scarcity of access. Anyone can put whatever they want on YouTube. There's a question. There's maybe a question of promotion whether there should be uh, funding. But if people want to watch Canadian programming online, they can. There's nothing uh, in terms of uh, in terms of technology that's stopping them from doing that. Yeah, that's that's interesting because it kind of moves into this other. It's always been a two tiered argument, and, and uh, you know the first tier was always technological, which was like, look, ju- it's just a fact. If we leave this up to the market to decide, Canadians uh, like like the American channels will take over, and then and then there will be no chance of Canadians to get on television. So we must regulate it. So now that like you say, that's no longer true. There's like there's I can start my own channel tomorrow on the internet. 
internet. And now it's just this kind of psychological, like fear-based thing of like, yeah, but will anyone watch it? Are we going to be good enough? Like, it's just a question of like, which, you know, there's every indication in a larger cultural scheme that we have the talent and the ability and the ideas to, to compete. Yeah. And there's also a question of whether we should have something that's uniquely ours. Like you have a lot of Canadians, for example, who are uh, great at producing TV, but they don't stay in Toronto. They go to L.A. and they produce good American TV. There's a lot of Canadians who are contributing to the American television system. The question is, should we have uh, something that is uniquely Canadian in terms of I don't hear I'm talking about, you know, large scale, big budget stuff. Or should we just sort of accept that the Canadian and American cultures, as far as as far as video is concerned, are just going to sort of slowly meld together? It's just these memories of these awful arguments from the past. You know, we used to get into this whole thing of like, yes, they're Canadian, but if they're making their stuff in Hollywood, can we consider the content Canadian? And then you have these checklists for if it could be considered Canadian in Canada, when often there was nothing particularly Canadian about it, but the fact that it was made here, you know, by people who happen to live here and... In the unregulated atmosphere of just like a YouTube, it's not so much that Canadian content isn't being viewed or, or that it's not very popular or that it's not being produced. It's it's doing all those things. It's just that like it's hard to differentiate it from American content in most cases, which was probably always kind of the case. Yeah, and that's and that's also a problem on on television. We have a lot of t- TV series, uh, whether it's Orphan Black or Flashpoint or Rookie Blue or or whatever, where. Like it's not made very obvious that this is taking place in Canada because these shows have U.S. co-producers with the idea that it would be sold to a U.S. partner. So they try to make the setting as generic as possible. So there's a question of, well, yeah, this counts as Canadian content, but what good is that other than, you know, creating some jobs in Canada? Well, they were aping American-made formats. I mean, not to get back into that, but, they, you know, they were creating product for the American market and trying to make uh, Canada look like America. You know, it's like it's been a failure. It hasn't worked out that well. The shows haven't been that good. I'm just I, – I feel like we're just sort of on repeat here. And you, you make this point on your blog. This is not a technological conversation. We have the technology to start delivering – TV over the internet right now. This is all about bureaucracy. This is about licensing and regulations and taxes and funding and, and, and you know, legacy businesses that are just fighting tooth and nail to keep things the way that they were, or, or at least to extract as much money as they can out of it uh, until things change over. The impact on the Canadian viewer and the Canadian consumer and the Canadian, like, creativity sector, it's holding us back, isn't it? I mean, why haven't we competed on that digital platform? There's no regulation that prevents... Uh, you know, CTV or Bravo or uh, the Cottage Life Channel or any or any other Canadian service from streaming online, from just going online and abandoning the regulated system entirely. But none of them are doing that. And the reason is because the regulated television system is still where the money comes from. It's still where the audience is. 85% of Canadian households still subscribe to a pay television system. As long as that continues to be the case, the content and the viewers and everything else is still going to be within that regulated system, even though for most households today, you can get HD video through the Internet. Uh, and there's no technological reason in any case why you know, you're, you're stuck in this regulated system and can't just get your video through something else. It's, it's, it's all a question now of, of, of rights, of copyrights, of – uh, you know, exclusive deals that are signed with content providers. Um, and at some point, we're going to get to the point where it makes more financial sense 
to get to get out of the system where you're not uh, you don't have to devote a certain percentage of your revenues to Canadian content or meet a bunch of other regulatory requirements. But we're still a ways off, which is why the CRTC has time to sort of phase this out, phase this regulation out instead of cutting it out off altogether, because we're still sort of dependent on this system uh, for the most part now. Yeah, we have YouTube. Yeah, we have other forms of video. But for the stuff that we really care about, whether it's NHL games or primetime dramas or stuff like that, that's still through the regulated system. But let's break that down, why it's more profitable for these stations to stay on the regulated system. And it's because of entropy. It's because of consumer uh, passivity and, you know, uh, passive income. Because if you're like the home and garden, you know, channel or whatever, you're bundled with a bunch of other channels and nobody is really thinking that long and hard about you specifically when they decide to go for that bundle. And, and, you know, people just kind of like, all right, I'll get that tier of cable and they get their percentage of that fee each month without anybody really thinking about what is on that channel. And when you go to a streaming over the top paradigm, it's like, do I want that channel specifically this month? Because I can kill anything I want. You know, like, do I want to keep Netflix or do I want to get rid of it? And it's based on what's on Netflix. So what that would demand of that channel is to kind of like, you would no longer be benefiting from consumer entropy. You would be dealing with consumers who are making active decisions about your programming. And you'd have to compete in a much more, I mean, it's just nothing that our, our, our channels are used to doing. So how can the CRTC, like, get them ready to actually, like, they, they've been like, like a little domestic house kitten. How, how, how can the CRTC get them to be like a, a feral jungle cat after that? Well, well, I think one of the ways is the the one thing that has, seems to have uh, been the major issue of this hearing, which is this idea of a pick and pay uh, uh, channel packaging where, you know, you don't have these large television bundles anymore. You have to, uh, you know, if you're a TV provider, you can still have your bundles, but you have to offer uh, all of the discretionary channels individually for for you know whatever price you want. Uh, and so it'll be up to consumers to decide. Well, do I like you know book television or uh, do I want to pay five, six, seven dollars a month for TSN? Do I want this and that? Um, where we're going to you know this this allows us to move to from a a situation where you get a bunch of channels even a bunch that you don't want, but you get them all for a relatively low price to one where the price per channel goes up, but you have a lot more choice in what you're willing to pay for. Um, and that I think will sort of begin setting the stage for companies to realize that they can't just get free money by providing a service that happens to be old. And that's one of the, the problems with the current system is that it advantages channels that are just older than other ones. They're going to have to prove to consumers that they're worth paying for. And that is sort of the, I think, the intermediary step between the current system and, you know, the completely unregulated free for all that we're eventually going to see. You know, the more I hear about this, the more I'm wondering if, uh, you know, all this talk within the, the, the hearings about preserving the current broadcasting regime. How do they put it? What's the terminology they use? Uh, they actually use the term regime quite a few times. Oh, they do. Like that's their role is to keep people in the system is that that, that 85% of people who are subscribing to cable and satellite, we don't want to lose them. We don't want cord cutting. We don't want people doing Netflix and all sorts of other things. The, the more I hear about this, the more I wonder if, if like the public's interest wouldn't just be better if we were urged out of the current system uh, quicker, like sooner rather than later. I mean, the world is turning as we debate these things. Yeah. Well, the CRTC's mandate it mandate isn't necessarily to preserve 
the system. Right. Like, that's not there. Like, they can say, hey, to Bell at all, like, you know, this is the way the system works. The system is probably on, on you know, coasting on fumes. As long as you want to profit from the system, you've got to abide by the system's rules. But there's a whole other world that other people are, are profiting from that you're more than welcome to get into. Right. And that and that question actually was asked to uh, Quebec Horror uh, yesterday was, you know, why don't you just get on this whole over-the-top system and complete direct compete directly with Netflix. Um, and they are actually trying to do that, but the problem is that uh, they don't have the financial power to compete with Netflix for uh, broadcasting rights. Videotron, in their case, they operate in Quebec, so they've gotten a lot of the French language rights to uh, shows, both those produced in Quebec and those produced outside. Um, but as far as English language programming, they just do not have the money uh, to buy the rights to those kinds of things. Yeah. I guess if you're operating on that kind of old media mentality of like, they're going to get in there and just like have a spending war for rights. I mean, the companies coming out of Silicon Valley that are trying to compete with Netflix are, are, are competing on the technological level of trying to come up with new ways of using video. And, and it, maybe it's not about buying old sitcoms. Maybe it's about, you know, peer to peer video. There's just all kinds of different ways of thinking about it. And, and, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing that comes up again and again. I don't know if, if, uh, if a dinosaur can give birth to a mammal. I don't know if these companies are going to be these innovative Canadian media companies of the future. Um, yeah. I mean, they're still going to exist because we still need Internet access. Like the Internet isn't going anywhere. And these companies, uh, you know, Bell and Shaw and Rogers and, and Quebec Or, um, they, they're still the ones also providing our Internet, our internet access and our wireless services. So – they're still going to exist. The question is, what are what's going to happen to their media arms? Are we just going to sort of dismantle the system and let U.S. media sort of come in and, and trample all over us, or are we going to have find some way to have some sort of Canadian system that is you know uniquely ours, or are we just going to sort of let that leave that up to? Uh, things like the CBC that are financed directly by the federal government. Yeah, I mean, the more I hear about this, the more I feel like it. it uh, if they wanted to take the opportunity, this could breathe new life into you know, let, like if we want to have a public funded news organization, public funded culture, that role has never been more starkly defined. Like, there's only one place that can do it in in a very consistent and, and clear way. I, I would point out that news and sports, um, they haven't been the two. Uh, genres that the CRTC has sort of already deregulated to a certain extent in terms of in terms of licensing, and they're also the kind of the two things where there is demand for something that's distinctly Canadian. We want information on our federal government when it comes to news. Uh, when it comes to sports, you know, sports is local. We want you know our local hockey team, our local football team. Uh, so there's still there's still a demand for stuff that is more local or at least more national when it comes to news and sports, but when it comes to drama or comedy or, you know, kids programming or whatever, that's where the need for something to be distinctly Canadian is a significantly less. Steve, this is going to drag on these hearings for another week. Is that right? Week and a half. Yeah. Dear God. And, and what's the outcome? Because th this is not like uh, they're just taking it all in, right? Like this isn't uh, there, there's no, no decisions are going to be announced at the end of this week and a half. No, no. Uh, the, the way it works is that uh, the CRTC opens up for public comment. Everyone comments. Uh, we have he hearings in person for the major issues, and obviously this is a very huge issue. Then people will have a chance to reply. So if Bell wants to reply to something that Chorus said, for example, they can uh, submit a, a written reply. 
uh, and then it'll be up to the CRTC to make some decisions. As for how long that'll be, that that you know, it could take weeks, it could take months. There are a lot of decisions to come out of this because there are a lot of issues at stake. You know, we we've sort of only scratched the surface in terms of the policies that are being reviewed here. There's pick and pay. Uh, we have I mean, we haven't even talked about simultaneous substitution, which is also a big issue. Uh, so there's a lot of things to be decided here, and I think it'll take a while before uh, they finally come up with uh, with decisions. And some of them might require more hearings if we're you know if we want to establish what the specifics of of new regulations is going to be. <laughs> Oh my God! This is the big, the most, and probably the most important hearing that the CRDC has had in at least the past decade because they're they're trying to tackle so many things at once. Well, I mean, you know, I know that uh, Google, Amazon, and Apple are all sharpening their knives, and and uh, I, I think that that's where the real fight is going to move is is that there's going to be a real turf war for the future of TV. Absolutely, and I think I think the days where you can get the kind of content you can on Netflix. For t- under ten bucks a month, um, even in Canada, uh, with the the, the 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 library that they have available here, I think it's it's going to be relatively short lived because as more and more companies come out and try to gobble up these rights, the the price of those rights is going to go way up. That's your Canada Lens show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me anytime. I will read it. I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. And this show's website is at canadalandshow.com. Check it out. Sponsor of this episode is squarespace.com. Promo code for that is canadaland. I make this show with Christopher DeMello. Welcome back, Chris. And we'll have another episode for you on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. 